The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools, an investor seeking promising ag tech startups, or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. The first thing you need to do agriculture is seeds. The first thing you think is plants. Agriculture is plants. If You cannot think of a farm without plants, but surprisingly people were like, yeah, you know, we got this fantastic new advanced system. It's completely automatic. And then I was like, okay, what kind of seeds do you use? What varieties? Ah, no, it was Joe at the corner. He had good seeds. What kind of good seeds? I don't know, but they grow. That was everything that was enough. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast, Season 4. Welcome back. If this is your first time listening, always like to welcome new listeners to the show. You are in the right place because this is the show where we interview fascinating CEOs, founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. And I am Harry Duran, your host. In case you missed last week's episode, I spoke with Samantha Johnson, Director of Aquaponics Programs at Commonwealth Charter Academy. They're doing some amazing things, getting folks and kids interested in the space, and it was really inspiring to hear some of the things they're working on at CCA. Make sure you check that out. This week, I speak to Rosario Iacono. He's the founder of Casvista. It's a concept stage startup aiming to produce open source seeds and seedlings for vertical farming. Their goal is to help modern vertical farms expand their range of products by providing seeds and seedlings of tomatoes and varieties specifically selected for vertical farming. In this episode, we talk about the incredible work they're doing at Casvista and why Rosario chose to focus on tomatoes as their first crop. He talks about the incredibly vast varieties within tomatoes that many people may not know about and the fact that he's Italian lends a, a special significance to selecting that crop, which I mentioned. And he shares tips for those who want to grow tomatoes at home as well, which is helpful. He explains the open source model and why it's critical to Kesvista's business. We learn what's next for the company and what excites him about the future and how we can educate the masses on vertical farming. Very, very inspirational stuff. 
thoroughly enjoy speaking to folks from around the globe on this podcast. And I appreciate Rosario taking the time to educate me on the importance of open source seeds. This episode is brought to you also by Freight Farms. Freight Farms manufactures and sells the leading vertical hydroponic container farm, the Greenery S. Built inside a 40-foot shipping container, the Greenery S uses innovative climate-controlled technology paired with an IoT app called Farmhand to enable anyone to grow fresh food anywhere in the world. Visit FreightFarms.com forward slash vertical farming podcast to learn more. All right, let's get into this conversation with Rosario. So Rosario Iacono, founder of Casbesta, thank you so much for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Hello, thank you for inviting me. So have you been on podcast interviews before? No, not before. No. <laughs> have you done regular interviews before? Uh, no, not on, uh, on a spoken basis. No, no. Okay. And so how long have you been working on Casvesta? I mean, on the idea, I think I started in 2017, 16. Okay. Um, the general, I mean, the pieces of the idea started like when I was in my bachelor, I think it was out 2006. But the idea itself, yeah, or the, the structure it is now was last summer. So it was the last year of work, yeah. So when you think about your time at university, is this something you feel like you've always been preparing for or something that was always of interest to you? I think somehow I didn't really fit in the academic life and I didn't really fit in the working for industry. I was always trying to do something different. It was upsetting everyone. <laughs> it was upsetting my supervisor because he wanted to publish paper and it was always like, why this? This is not ever been tried. It will never work. I was like, that's why I want to try it. Employers don't like someone that does something that doesn't adhere to the procedure. So that's in the true. end, I found myself, I said, yeah, I mean, I want to do something and it's not something that fits in these two categories. So I want to develop my idea. So somehow, yeah, I was preparing for, for this maybe, yeah. So for the benefit of the listener and for people who have not heard of Kazvesek, how do you usually explain what the company is and what your mission is? What I usually say is uh, people ask if we are an innovative startup. I would say that, yes, we are an innovative startup, but we are not innovative. We are not a startup because the idea is very old. We produce seeds. So uh, seed companies have been around since ever. So we, what we basically do, we produce seeds. The only difference is we produce seeds for a specific sector of agriculture that is vertical farming. And we decided we release our varieties and our seeds with an open source license. So these are these three things together make an innovation because there is no company out there doing these three things together. And that's how I usually present the company to people that ask, what are you doing? And uh, I'm sure people can guess based on your accent, but where's home for you right now? <laughs> My home is the south of Italy in Sicily. I've been around for a while now. Uh, I think it has been 10 years since I left. But yeah, I still have the accent. I still go back home when I can. Okay. But home is uh, south of Sicily? Yeah, south of Sicily in the south of Italy, yeah. Okay. And where are you now then? At the moment, we are based in Berlin. Okay which is where I opened the company. So we're going to be here for a while. Yeah, I've been, I've actually been there. It's a beautiful city. Yeah, it's fantastic. And so when did the vertical farming controlled environment agriculture, when did that become something that you were aware of? Or has it been something, a trend that you've been following for, for many years? 
Uh, no, actually, it was during my PhD, like between uh, like around five years ago. Um, I was in the office with one of the people that now is working with me on Casvesta, Laura. She was working on a project about optimization of light for lettuce in vertical farming. When I first asked her about her project, she explained me what vertical farming was. I was like, it will never work. This is just a waste of time. There is no 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 chance it's going to be to make sense. And it took a while, but she convinced me. So I got very really into that because I really loved the idea in the end and and everything changed. So yeah. That was the time when I started to be interested. What began to change your mind? I mean, the the logic behind it. Like when I start to see papers, I start to see the numbers, and it really made sense for me the the difference in the surface that you need to for produce the same amount of food. Uh, it really made difference for me the the higher production of food and the fact that you can have the food locally and close to the place where you are. As an emigrant from the south of Sicily, I've always been missing the real vegetables. And people don't realize how real they are not the, the food we export. Because yeah. I was getting tomatoes from Sicily in London, but there is no, no compromise. You either make a tomato that can travel for 16 hours on a truck, or you make a tasty tomato. And I tried. If you bump a tomato both in London on the wall and put it back in the fridge, it stays for two weeks, and it's still a tomato. So I was like, yeah, makes sense. I would like to have fresh local food with taste all year round. And so obviously there's a lot of decisions which produce to start with, and maybe it's because of your heritage and your background that you are focused on tomatoes right now. <laughs> but is um, it, what was the decision, or how did you come to that decision? No, I mean, yeah, a bit on the heritage, a bit of uh, nostalgia for home, but basically was also looking a bit at the statistics. We are based in Germany and I look at the, what is the vegetable most consumed in Germany. And is the second most consumed is tomato just after potatoes. Okay. And which is also the most imported tomato. So for most of the year, the, the tomato is imported from other European countries or extra European countries. So if I had to think about moving from the production of greens and leafy greens to something else, I see that the first ranking is tomato. What people will ask is tomato. And then after that, we have in, I think, onion, cucumber, and I think strawberries kind mm -hmm. of high as well. But yeah, yeah it was most a consideration of considering the market, yeah. How much do people need to be educated about the varieties of tomatoes? I don't want to be critic, but a lot. Well, this asking, is your opportunity now. So. Yeah, that's opportunity because I've been asking people, like I started to propose my idea let's, to see if people were taking, considering me crazy or at least giving me a chance. So I start to talk around and I, I start to ask, like, what varieties would you like? What varieties would you like to grow? And the most epic answer was like, we have a, a great variety of greens. I was like, I don't really question the range of greens you grow, but you know, there are, if you think about basil, there are thousands of varieties of basil. If you think about tomatoes, I recently went through a database with 6,000 varieties of tomato, and that's just a little thing. That's just what we were able to collect, we were able to find. But I think there is a lot to explain to people because it's not people's fault. I mean, I was into a conference recently. I asked people to raise their hands. I asked who was into vertical farming, and there was a huge amount of hands raising. 
But when I asked who had a background as a farmer or farming background or growing plants, just one person rose his hand. So I was, okay, that's, that's the point. I'm not talking to farmers. If I was talking to a farmer and asking about a variety, the answer was right. Uh, there is a lot to, to educate and explain. And I think that's also our job in the, in the next few years. Do you consider yourself, how would you define yourself? A farmer, scientist? <laughs> oh, gosh. I, <laughs> I spent the last 38 years thinking of this. I, I decided to not answer this question anymore. I, but I'm a bit of everything. I, I think I'm in the laboratory and I try to remember how a farmer would think. Like when I do an experiment, I think, would this make sense for my grandfather or my dad? Mm. This something I could apply is just, I'm tickling my mind because this is exciting. On the other side, when I'm in the vertical farming or in the farm, or when I was a student, I was working in the farm, I was always thinking, okay, what's logic and the, the mechanism behind that would say? How can I make this simpler and faster or better for the environment? And yeah, and I always been mixing things. So um, I also like theater. I've been an actor for a bit and... I put this, like a presentation can be like a presentation, like I look like being on a stage and sometimes I engage people and I make people engaging with ideas that are serious, using techniques that I learned in theater. So I don't think there is a single answer. I'm, me, it's me. <laughs> you're, it's like you're a, re- a renaissance man. <laughs> yeah. How important was your upbringing and you know, what memories do you have of farming? In your family? I remember me fighting with my dad because I think he was the hippie of the of the situation. I, I was the green revolution guy. So chemical fertilizers finally. Can we have a monoculture once in a while? Can we stop having trees mixing with many other can we kill all the insects that have a single culture? And he was like, that's doesn't really look natural. And at that time was the way where they were teaching us what agriculture was, like maximize the production, uh, reduce the cost. Clean food means food with no pest at all. So you just use pesticides. But I remember it was like, the question was like, should we start to use an industrialized system for our cows? It was really against that. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, but we could produce more milk, sell more milk for even a lower price. But, uh, and it was like, no, that's, that's no sense. I mean, you need quality and then everything comes. And, I think it took 20 years for me to understand that that was the new way and it makes more sense. And that's my memory. My memory is like also, it's mostly about when I left countryside. The first time I had to go to a supermarket to buy some vegetables or I had to buy milk. And I called Mm -hmm. back home and I was like, you know, here they don't have cows. They, They buy milk in supermarkets and there are many bottles of different colors. What is milk and what is not milk? And yeah. It can be confusing when you're not in the system before. And do you still have connections to that family? And are they aware of like what you're working on now? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still the official owner of the lands. My dad passed a few years ago. Uh, my mom is still there. We are not farming anymore. We, In the end, we gave up on the run to industrialization. The farm was small. But I go back to the lands every time I can. I still have the little orchard where I, orchard where I started to plant my first tomatoes. And yeah, uh, there is a apricot tree that I planted more than 25 years ago and it's still there. So wow. yeah, it's full of memories. It's always a nice place to go back. What are some tips for people growing tomatoes at home? 
wow, <laughs> I don't know, just experiment. I mean, I think people try to find the, the best way to do things. You find your way. I mean, I noticed that by changing flat many times, my plants grow differently every time I change flat. So I think it's really, it's a kind of micro ecosystem and you have to kind of find your way, your varieties, what fits better. And uh, normally a tomato should be able to be, once it's picked off the vine, you can store it at room temperature, right? They, everything from everything I understand, the last place you want to put a, a tomato is in the refrigerator. Yeah, exactly. And because that, can you talk a little bit about what you've discovered over the years about the, the, the flavors of the different types of tomatoes? You mean like, what I found is like how much you can influence the, the taste. People ask, for example, how you make a sweeter tomato. This is something I learned from the farmers in Sicily, where there is this area where we, pro we produce the cherry tomato that as a PDO, so it's a certification of quality for the area where it's produced. You cannot produce the same tomato in other areas. And that's why, because the reason is that in that area, they have uh, the water of the sea going into the lands, and the, the land is very salty. This salt creates a kind of drought concentrate the sugar in the tomatoes and make these sweet tomatoes. And I think, yeah, what I learned is you can influence a lot the taste and you can change a lot by the techniques you use to grow the tomato. How much of that knowledge is making its way into what you're doing at Casvista? I still look at these plants and I can sometimes think back how they were growing when they were Orleans. But when I started to work on Casvesta and on the varieties for vertical farming, I also start to think about this hashtag that is, this is not a tomato. Is I should, I try to forget everything I knew about tomato because if you stuck to something, you think about a tomato and people say, tell me like, how can you imagine to grow a tomato in uh, my shelves are 70 centimeters tall. How can you imagine to grow a tomato there? I was like, if you are talking about tomato and we think about tomato, it was on open land. There is no way you can fit that in, a, in that 70 centimeters. And there is nothing I can do for you. First of all, forget about that. Forget about the shape, forget about the color, forget everything. We don't need that in vertical farming. So we can reimagine the whole shape as it was already done from the domestication to the modern day. So what I say is like, I try to don't think about how, what I think a tomato is. I try to think in terms of what a tomato should be now. And this is redraw it from scratch. Even the shape of the leaf, of the color of the leaf, everything. As wow. long as you get a fruit that is a tomato and it's nutritious and healthy for people. What the plant looks like, we already decided once, 10,000 years ago. We can decide again. It's not against nature. And the ultimate test would be to take one of those tomatoes and feed it to one of your family members and see if they approve. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm thinking of doing this kind of test for real, like a panel test where two groups of people will be asked to taste vertical farming produce and open land produce to see how likely it is that a person can recognize the difference in taste or freshness. You mentioned that you were introduced to this space through your partner, uh, Laura. That's Laura Camarisano? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's uh, our ad advisor. How did you meet? We met because we actually did the four years of PhD staying in the same office. So we were partners. She would stand all the stress I went through <laughs> during my PhD. And yeah, we became, we became friends and we kind of shared the, the idea we have of science and what science should be. We helped each other. 
we kind of took different ways. She's a good scientist and she's really good in academia. So when the decision was about you quit academia and you come in the company or you are our advisor, I had no doubt. I says, like, I cannot see you in any other place than academia. Academia needs you more than you need academia. So we need people like you there. She's kind of an outlier, but she's very good in what she's doing. And yeah, that's the way we actually we met and our story. How much research did you do into what was existing already in terms of, you know, because there's new companies that are doing some yeah. something similar in this space, designing produce specifically for the vertical farming space. But what did you see when you got started? What was available? Who was doing something similar? How much research did you do in that area? I mean, I did a lot of a lot of research. I knew that I was still a new a new world for me. I was recently to my first conference about vertical farming, and I didn't know anyone. I didn't know the names. I didn't know the people. It wasn't even my area of uh, research. Um, so I did a lot of research, and yeah, I, I basically was kind of surprised of the approach because I thought. The first thing you need to do agriculture is seeds. The first thing you think is plants. Agriculture is plants. If You cannot think of a farm without plants. But surprisingly, people were like, yeah, you know, we got this fantastic new advanced system. It's completely automatic. And then I was like, okay, what kind of seeds do you use? What varieties? Ah, no, it was Joe at the corner. He had good seeds. What kind of good seeds? I don't know, but they grow. That was everything that was enough. And uh, there was really not kind of feeling that uh, different varieties could have grown differently in that system. The system was doing everything that what can possibly go wrong. And my feeling was, okay, we we is out there producing seeds. And most of the companies I found out there, they were producing seeds, but they were not ready at the request from vertical farmers. So they were not able to answer to questions like, what nutrient solution do I use? What kind of mm. lights? Uh, do they grow in in hydroponics? Many of the labels, information provided are like which time of the year you should plant, but they don't tell you what temperature for germination, what temperature for growth, because you can set this in your uh, farm. Even more deep deta- detail is like what's the variation of temperatures along the day that you have to give to the plant. And no one has ever gone out and tested along the day how many times temperature changes. It's spring. This is what you do from April to August. You can grow tomatoes. So there was kind of this. I saw an environment that was really at the beginning, and I was really excited by this. It was everything at the beginning? Everything. Everyone was trying everything for the first time, and I was really very inspired because everyone is a visionary in this in this world at the moment in vertical farming. How much are you learning about how a tomato grows? outdoors in the real world because you mentioned you know I, I think about this as well if you try to grow a tomato outside you have to take into account the seasons <laughs> and the changes yeah. in the temperature even throughout the day obviously when you're in a controlled environment like a vertical farm you can keep it one temperature the entire 24 hours <laughs> or you can vary it which would replicate what happens in nature and it sounds like what you're saying is that variety is important in terms of how the tomato is grown and how it affects like you know all aspects of it flavor size color all, all those things yeah i think at the moment what i am observing is in vertical farming the real stress is the lack of stress 
mm. starting with the fact that plants, for example, they are able to support on their stem if they get enough wind to try trigger the production of lignin in their stem. And plants are kind of accustomed to sunrise and sunset with all the variation of spectrum during the sunrise and the sunset. And uh, this lack of, even if, and there was a, I read recently a paper, they tried to, okay, there is no, there was a kind of a spectrum miss during the day. Let's try to give it just in one shot in the evening. It doesn't work. The plant is expecting something, uh, which somehow is the way the plants were uh, accustomed over the selection process. Um, so at the moment there is a stress created by the lack of stress to the point that some uh, protocol suggests to stress a bit the plant and give a, lit a little lack of water or a lack of nutrients that can trigger some things to give the characteristics to the plant. And so that's the main difference I noticed here. Yeah, that's fascinating because a lot of the selling points and the benefits that people talk about with vertical farming is removing all the stress, all the, the inclement weather that can affect a plant, the extreme cold, the bugs, right? Because if they don't have to build up a defense to that, what, what does that do? And it almost sounds like you end up with like lazy plants. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, they're very strong plants, but they, they've been fighters for so many years and we sure. selected them to fight. That Now they are in this kind of idyllic environment that they don't know anymore. <laughs> they're confused, I think. And so how do you think about that when you're you're creating varieties specifically for these environments? It feels like there's so many different variables that you have to think about and you probably are experimenting a lot. Uh, yeah, it's, it's always exciting when we plan a new experiment because it's finding a way to exclude the effect of the environment and test the effect of the variety. At the same time, we need to test the same variety in different environments that are the different growing system that you can have in different in different farming system in protected environment. So it's always like, what is reaction of the plant? For example, like just to make an example, we recently found a tomato that is extremely fast in growth. It grows 42 days from seed to fruit, and that's mm -hmm. spectacular. What we guess and what we think is a very fast, stressful reaction. It's scared by nature. It's it wants to flower straight away. And it's surprising how, for example, we are now about to test some uh, uh, varieties that were excluded by, uh, they were never considered like from breeding programs because they were not resistant to pathogens, to cold and other things that they were killing them straight away. We're curious to see what are these varieties going to do when there is no stress. There is not any more what took them out from the competition. So... It's very exciting. could be surprising every day what's going to come out from this test, yeah. It seems like if you think about all the different combinations of varieties and all the different combinations of environment and stress, lack of stress, and all the different experiments, it feels like this is a project that's going to keep you very busy for many years. Yeah, um, that's... I don't know. People say you like complicated things. Yeah, I don't really enjoy doing straight, uh, simple things. And I knew from the beginning it could be a work that can last generations. I don't think I can finish this. And that's why I want to do this. It's, it's a long, long work. We started with one crop. It's already huge. So accessing everything and testing everything is, is a lot of work. But I like that. I mean, 
you seem to embrace the challenge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about the team? Because it looks like from the site, it's you and uh, you mentioned Laura, but you also have uh, Nella Cherwinka on the team as well. Yeah, I have Nella on the team. She's taking care of most of the operations and she has been basically doing the great background work that people see on uh, on everything from the recent registration as a UG company in Germany uh, to the contact with uh, facilities giving us space and contact with other farmers, taking lists, checking funding. So she's the, and also she's the German speaker of the group. So if, for dealing with the Berlin administration and Berlin offices, we needed someone speaking German. So she's the one. And then on the side, we have Laura. She's one of the, our advisors. And then we have Tim Beard that recently joined our, um, let's say, advisor boards. His friends giving us advice. Uh, he's uh, completing his PhD in uh, Bangor at the University of Bangor. And his full-time job is tomatoes. And after finishing working on tomatoes, he still works on tomatoes, so he's really into tomatoes. Um, and then we have Frederick, is uh, uh, works at the Danish Institute for Design and is our advisor in uh, financial things. Okay. Uh, our meeting was kind of peculiar because he's, um, one of his main interests is the open source hardware for uh, vertical farming. So basically, he reached out because he was drinking a beer with his friends and talking about open source hardware for vertical farming. And at some point, he was like, it would be cool to have open source plants for these open source vertical farms. And they Googled and they found us. So we got in touch. And I love this expertise in, uh, in the financial world. So he's giving us advice and helping when this comes. And one more question would be, can we do this with just these members of the team? And my answer is no. <laughs> I always expect this question and I hope it comes. <laughs> I hope to find more, 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 more people at the moment. The selection goes, if you're crazy enough to contact us and you manage to find us, you're probably someone that wants to work with us. And we are looking for more people that are motivated and they want to join us. So obviously we have a, a platform and we have regular listeners. Uh, we're getting ready now. This is one of the interviews that's going to be for season four, which we're starting in September. So I'm excited to get this published. But what is the ask when you think about specific needs on your team or skill sets or people you'd be interested in, in being connected with? What comes to mind? The moment we need what I can foresee, we will need growers for sure. So people with experience in uh, growing in uh, vertical farming. We need to grow our team of uh, breeders, so people that have a passion for breeding and that kind of familiar or they appreciate the importance of the open source license for seeds. And we are also trying to develop a database system for our varieties and also a database system that our customers can access with all the information about the growth. So we need people with uh, experience in uh, IT and backend uh, database development. Who also um, like tomatoes. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and all people, they like tomatoes. But I cannot see as anyone cannot like tomatoes. <laughs> or at least Italian food or pizza or something similar. Yeah. <laughs> Why open source? Why is that important? For me, it's crucial. I mean, I started to think about that. Was the, the open source came before the seeds. I... It was 2007, I completely deleted everything I had on my laptop by mistake because I was starting to install my first open source operative system. 
and was the version was Red Hat was a distro of uh, Linux, and I really loved that. At some point, I was totally in control, and not only in control, I was free, and there was no virus could ever access my laptop ever again. Um, and then I start to think about, and I start to be in contact with the com open source community in terms of software, uh, sharing information, my my bugs or any problem was sorted in a few minutes because there was millions and millions of people working on it every day. And I was like, this would be cool if it could happen for SEEDS because it was the time when I was attending my lectures at university about arboriculture and the teacher just explained us what is a proprietary license on a seed and how it works. And it didn't really make sense to me. So I get the seed, I plant the seed, I grow the plant, but that plant is not mine. If I harvest the seeds from that plant and I plant them again, I'm using your proprietary technology. That didn't make sense to me. I was also inquiring to companies. I was like, what is mean? You, I get the seeds, I plant the seed. And if I try to make the seeds, I'm using your technology. And they, the answer was yes, you can't. And I was like, there must be a different, there must be a different way. And I started to Google just out of fun, open source seeds. And I found that there was the beginning of was 2012 was the beginning of the open source initiative in the US, which was mostly motivated by scientists that wanted to share seeds and move and transfer seeds between uh, different academia uh, and departments without breaching any any license. And so that was really a thing. And the reason why I was really into that is because I was thinking of a very bad scenario. Imagine a scenario where a company has the royalties on the seeds and sells these seeds to the farmers of another country. And everything is good and fine until these two countries are in peace. If these two countries go, go in a war or they don't, they're not friends anymore, you don't need any more weapons to starve the other country. You just take away the right to use the seeds. And that's not right. I mean, everyone should have access to food. Access to food is through access to seeds. There is no chance that I can see a humanity where if I, were, if, if I eat an apple and I want to sow these seeds, I can't. Or I want to make my own plant of tomato from the seeds that I got from the tomato at the supermarket, and I can't. So I think it should be this way, it should be open source. And people say you cannot pay for, you cannot pay the breeders if you don't put a copyright. But that's not completely true. I mean, it's true if you want to make a lot of money working on many levels of marketing. But if you start to think that the farmer can be the breeder and everyone contribute to the improving of the, of the variety, you speed up the breeding in a, of a, such a speed that everyone benefits, even if the final seed is sold to a lower price. So it becomes something collaborative. Even if people ask, okay, you give me one seed, I buy the seed, and then I make all the seeds I want. What's, what's the point of your business? And my answer is like, yeah, you can make as many seeds as you want. You can also improve that. But those seeds that you release with the open source seeds, they will be released again with another open source license. Everyone will benefit of that. And if I see that's a good variety, I, I'll take it back and I'll re-improve. And we both benefit from this improvement. There is not any more a relation where I'm the breeder and I tell you what you need. You tell me what you need and we do it together. That's how it should be. And that's how it was in software. And I think it works.
Yeah, it's such a, an important an, an analogy. And, and like with the Linux community, I know that everybody realized that the, the power in that and, and the power to not have those licenses belong to one company, because just as you pointed out, that that's a, it's a slippery slope is the saying in, in English, you know, you just, where does it end? And I'm curious just about the specifics of it or the technology for open source seeds. Are, is each variety created from a source seed or can you, I mean, like how, how does the process, if just to get a little technical, but I'm, I'm just curious how it works and where open source seeds come from. So the open source seeds come from germplasm of varieties uh, that are out there. So for germplasm, in, I mean any also traditional variety that has never covered with a copyright and that is not a, a natural variety. So if you want to take, of course, seeds from a wild plant and transform it to a variety, you need to stand to the protocol of Nagoya uh, rules. If you have an old variety, uh, which is not protected, you take it, you improve it to the point that that becomes a variety that is distinguishable from the original one, you can decide which kind of protection you put on, the, on this variety. One of your options is going to be the open source license. So, for example, in Germany, there was this, there is this uh, traditional variety of wheat was improved and the variety that resulted was covered with an open source license. And here in Berlin, you can, op you can buy open source bread. How cool is that? <laughs> so that's the idea. You start from uh, partly selected or, or already selected germplasm, you improve it. And when it's a variety that you could potentially register with other licenses, you can also choose the open source license. Since starting Casvista, you mentioned you were connected to open source vertical farms. And how did, so you explained obviously the process of open source seeds, open source vertical farming. What are they doing different than the current models? I mean, I don't know if you're kind of what, for example, OpenTrons is doing. OpenTrons is this uh, company that is actually producing robots for, uh, for science. You have two options. You can download the whole schematic of the robot, print everything with the 3D printer, connect all the cables by yourself, and the robot will work. The cost is kind of $10,000. On the other side, you can get from them, from them the robot already assembled and customized to your needs for a little bit more than the price that you would spend. And that's the idea of open source hardware. You can build by yourself. What the company gives you is a bit of peace of mind. Nobody wants to really go through the downloading all the specifics, connecting all the cables. And that's where the actual work you pay is the work of a technician coming and building it for you. The same with the open source vertical farms. You have the schematics, the project and the system is open source. You can access it. You can also customize to your needs. If you want a standard system that works and you don't want to spend hours and days learning and building it, it will be provided to you already built. It feels like at some point there'll be an open source vertical farming conference, <laughs> just <laughs> specifically. I hope so. Wow, that's a dream. <laughs> and it would have to be in Berlin. I think that makes the most sense. I hope so as well. Yeah. <laughs> What's been the biggest surprise for you in, in the, I, I, since starting Casbista? The um, surprises, I mean, I've been surprised every day. I can't count the amount of bottles of wine we have already opened celebrating something new happening. And I think the, the most surprising thing is how much people care and like the idea. 
uh, I was really skeptical about my own idea. I was like, yeah, I can, I can put it out there, see what people think. As soon as I explain how it works, people say it's important. It's something we want. It's something we should do. And when I explain how open source works, people are surprised they didn't know before about licenses on seeds and how a variety works. So I've been, I've been impressed how much people care about this. And I've been impressed about the people I've met because there is a whole world of people out there that they are like, oh yes, tell me what I can do, I will do because this is something I really care about. And yeah, I think also the opportunities that have been given because in one year I went from, uh, let's see if we can do to be invited to talk to a conference it was the fifth summit of the Association for Vertical Farming last week. I will be to another conference at the end of the month and the feedback is always like, wow. <laughs> So, yeah, that was the most impressive thing because I, I didn't expect it. Can you talk a little bit about your journey as the founder of this company and some of the, the challenges you've experienced? Like, I don't know how much experience you have growing and starting a company, but uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, I would say it's been a long journey. I started from being a former researcher, from a former PhD student, a lot of experience in the lab, a lot of experience with talking with other scientists. I had to learn everything from scratch, from how you engage with the business and how you engage with customers that are not just an audience, they're customers, uh, business partners, how you, how you attend a meeting with business partners. There are rules that are different from a meeting with other scientists. And all the financial part, wrapping my mind around the financial concept, ideas, uh, how you build a business plan and how you write this in a way that is understood by people doing finance, how you crunch numbers, how you obtain data and how you, how you analyze this data, you try to make sense of yourself also. And that's been like a continuous learning plus uh, the bumping on the bureaucracy that is something that my mind still struggles to understand, but you have to go through that. You have to have all the documents done and you have to wrap your mind around, okay, this procedure works like this. So if I want to do this, I have to do this first. And it, it's, it has been, a, I think it has been a very hard work going from um, being just a scientist to be a scientist entrepreneur. So it's something different. But somehow I was kind of not that disgusted or that like unhappy of what I was learning. I was really happy and Somehow I was fitting in what I was finding and in what I was learning. So, yeah. Do you remember anything entrepreneurial you did when you were younger? <laughs> Let me think. I was always coming up with something to sell or something to grow that could, could change okay. the sort. Always thinking much. What I was always wondering was like, what can I make useful for, uh, for people? What, how can I make this process better or more efficient? Or maybe people need this. Most of the time they didn't, but. <laughs> what was your most popular invention? Oh, wow. My most popular invention. And the fact is I never sold things. That's my problem. I was sharing <laughs> things. I think this, my idea with Casvesta was the first time I said, this time we don't tell anyone. We don't uh, sell this away. Yeah. Uh, I think it was kind of disappointing. It was before the age of Facebook and um, I had this idea of people could enjoy playing the farmer on a computer. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but that's just a silly idea. I was talking with my friends. I never, I never tried to write a couple of lines of code to see if it could work. 
And a couple of years later, there was, it was called, was, uh, yeah, was camping, and you could grow your vegetables, you had your gardens, <laughs> people addicted. And made millions yeah, people, of dollars. Exactly. I was like, no, I knew that. <laughs> and so That's this good. time I was like, okay, maybe yeah, it's not yeah. cool. I'm, I keep it this for myself. <laughs> yeah. So as you think about the future challenges, I don't know if you have time to think about vision or the future of where you want to be, but um, if you do think big, you know, what does that look like, you know, three to five years out? Oh, wow. Assuming we get the funding and we get to grow, I have many ideas that I would like to see happening. First of all, expanding to more and more crops. So having more crops that can be grown in vertical farming. And I see... The world really asking for it, and I see us expanding. I hope and I wish on a more global scale. Uh, most of the future of Casvesta, that as I say, it could be a cool idea. Could be that for many reasons that is not there anymore in five years. What I really wish is that the open source idea and the open source uh, model can. For once was because before us, no one has uh, uh, tried to make a business model out of open source. This would be the first time the open source model is actually making money for seeds. And if this model works, there is an alternative. So in five years, I wish people know that there is an alternative, that there is not just black, white, you get this or not, that they have a choice. And I hope we will be there also to be one of the choices. I mean, I'm I'm excited to share this story, so I'm looking forward to when we can publish this because I think more people need to learn about different options. And I explain this all the time that I started this podcast to learn myself about vertical farming and educate myself because I, I came in with the mind of the beginner. Just everything is a question for me. I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And so I'm fascinated to meet uh, folks like you who are doing something innovative and also doing something that's good for the community, I think admirable and, and something that uh, to be truly inspired by. And I think more people should hear this story because I think it's important. Do you have folks that you, when you, when you get stuck, do you have mentors or people you turn to <laughs> who can help you? I mean, I've, I've been many, I mean, I just work on the shoulders of giants. I cannot, uh, let me think like someone in particular, I don't know, apart the big guys. Okay. Uh, that, that's kind of, um, nothing great to say, but you know, there was this guy called, called Elon Musk. And when everyone says the car has to go in, on petrol, he was alone. And he said, no, it goes on electricity. And mm -hmm. just say that. And in, sometimes it's just that's what it takes. And then recently I met Steve Ritz from New York. Okay. He's uh, leading a project in the Bronx. He went from zero to meet the Pope and Obama. And he's doing great for these children there in the Bronx. And if I think I want to be... Someone, or I think about someone, I think about, about these people, people that when everything is against them, they still keep saying, yeah, but it works because I say so, because yeah. it must work because the, the alternative is much worse. So if That's I think true. of the alternative is much worse, so this must work. Anytime I live in Minneapolis now, but I grew up in New York. So anytime, and I'm, you can tell by my hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for the listener, I'm wearing a Yankees hat, so... <laughs> So I'm a, a big fan of the Yankees and the Bronx. So as we uh, get close to the end of this really fascinating interview, I'm curious if there's anything that you've uh, changed your mind about recently. 
I'm a bit more confident that we can make it. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, getting in touch with vertical farmers, uh, with more people in the scene of vertical farming, I see this more likely to happen and I see more likely than governmental institutions and funding will come for vertical farming as well. So I'm, I'm a bit more confident on uh, the fact that vertical farming is really growing and becoming a thing for the future. Not just and, a project, not an idea, it's something. And you mentioned looking for the funding to come through. So just so we can share anything you may be looking for there, anyone you're looking to be connected to, like what is the need there in terms of funding? We need, at the moment, we are looking for people that would be our investors. And because we believe that this is the way we can grow to a proper size to do what we, we want to do. So if someone is listening out there and he likes us, he likes our idea, we are really happy to connect and see what we can do together. Okay, we'll make sure we that message gets heard as well. <laughs> so when you think about having a, a platform to educate people about people new to vertical farming, people new to the different variety of, of 6,000 varieties of tomatoes available <laughs> or to the beauty of open source, is there anything that we haven't covered that uh, you, you think uh, more people need to hear about? No, I mean, one thing I think we should do to educate and where the education could really start, it, it's, I think it's at school. I think children are really the key to make vertical farming cool because through children, you educate their parents. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I think the question is how we make vertical farming and this fresh food cool and people ask for it. So, yeah. Yeah, I think in past conversations, um, obviously with COVID, that's changed dramatically. But this, just the ability to take tours, to see the inside of some of these vertical farms, for people to actually taste <laughs> the difference yeah. in the produce, I think that's sometimes the most surprising thing that people discover. Yeah, exactly. And uh, when people like grow their own food and also they, they touch the food, I think that's the moment where they change their mind about they say, ah, but it's, it's a tomato, it's a tomato. But when you yeah. ta- touch it and you, you feel it, you see it's, it's here. It's not something coming in a box. Yeah. How do you explain what you do to your mother? Oh, wow. That's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I managed. And she's really happy about that. And she really sees that the world is changing and this is necessary. And I mean, she was the one teaching me the principles I'm using for what I'm doing. So she really agrees mm. on these things. She's always like, yeah, that makes sense. That's the way we think and the way things should be. I was like, yeah, and that's what I'm doing. She's really happy about that. That must feel good for you to bring that knowledge full circle that you received, you know, as her son and, and just all this experience you had on your family farm and to, you know, to be able to now to bring it full circle and to, to show that, you know, that uh, those lessons were not wasted <laughs> on the youth. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things I, I told is like, you didn't waste your time. You just, I took that knowledge, I did something different. <laughs> I took the long route. <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually, yeah, I took, I took a very long round from what they taught me to what actually to wrap my mind about, about, around what they taught me and making something different out of that. Yeah. Well, Rosario, I, I'm really glad we got the chance to, to reach out. I think uh, we started a conversation on LinkedIn probably a couple of months yeah. ago, and I, I was 
interested to, to, to hear what you were working on and I'm very happy to just learn more. So if people want to start to learn more about Casvista, is uh, the website the best place to get started? Uh, yeah, they can visit our website, uh, casvesta.com, or they can uh, look for Casvesta on uh, social networks. So yeah. Instagram, Facebook, we are happy to answer, uh, answer questions through private message or just leave a comment. Okay, and, and we'll make sure we have uh, all those links in the show notes as well. So when people hear this episode, they can see all those links as well. So, so they can connect with you and the team. And I just want to add that I'm containing myself, but I'm super, super excited to be here because <laughs> I've been listening to your episodes and I was like, oh, how cool are those guys at this and learning a lot from your... So I think the best work in vertical farming is in promoting vertical farming is the work you are doing in this podcast because it's really the way you should explain vertical farming to people. Yeah, I think... Uh... It's helpful to not know a lot and not know all the technical details because I'm thinking of my listener because I'm like, oh, they would probably ask that question or that's not something that most common people would know. And and like you said, like I've seen and heard so much feedback of people who are discovering, I want to learn about vertical farming and I found your show. So I always, I love, yeah. that's why I like speaking to founders and that's why I like speaking to, to the CEOs because I want to hear the origin story and, and yours is is just as as good as the ones I've had before Thank on the you. show. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing it. <laughs> so thanks again for your time. Thanks to you for having me. Thanks again to Casvista's Rosario Iacono for coming on the show and sharing his story. Full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Thanks again to our season four title sponsor, Cultivated. If you are looking for a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com, and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. And Freight Farms, who manufactures and sells the leading vertical hydroponic container farm, the Greenery S. Built inside a 40-foot shipping container, Greenery S uses innovative climate control technology paired with an IoT app called FarmHand to enable anyone to grow fresh food anywhere in the world. Visit FreightFarms.com forward slash Vertical Farming Podcast to learn more. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at Fullcast.co forward slash VFP15 and learn how a podcast can be helpful for your business. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP and we'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Thanks for all you do to support the show. And until we meet again next episode, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.